Colossians 3 and verse 1, Paul's writing to the church there and he says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Bless our reading of it today. Lord, open our eyes to the wonders of it. Teach us, Holy Spirit, as only you can, as each one has need. Lord, as the old preacher once said, take the poverty of my remarks and use them in the way that only you can in Jesus name. Amen. So as if you looked, if we took time to go back into chapter one and two of the letter to Colossians, Paul is telling them in chapter one who Christ is. And in chapter two, he told them what Christ did for them. And then you see he starts out in chapter three with, so if you have been raised with Christ... Remember, we, we came to him because we weren't okay. We came to him and he accepted us. He loved us. He saved us. And so Paul's word to them is, why are you still trying to be who you used to be? If you're raised in Christ, why are you trying to live like you used to live? He says that you have been raised with Christ. Not that you'll later be raised, you have been raised to new life in Christ. And he tells us, if that's so for you, if you're a follower, then set your minds on things that are above and not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Remember, we talked about the ascension and what that meant, where he is right now, what he's doing right now for us. He says, set your minds on things above where Christ is for you died. Remember, that's what the picture of baptism is. We, 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 died. we were crucified with Christ and raised to new life with him. You died, past tense. It happened. Life changed. And then changing life follows after that. And then he says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. So even if it's not visible to people looking at you, understand it's hidden in Christ with God. Even before you can see it played out in your actions and in the things that you do and how you carry yourself, you are already hidden in Christ with 
God. And then verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Guaranteed. That's an amen verse right there. So what am I doing in verses one through four? What is there for me to do in verse one through four? Not a whole lot, right? Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Everything else he's doing or everything else is already taking place. And, and I'm setting my minds on the things above, not on earthly things. It goes, goes back to last week, Romans 12, renewing my mind, my mind being made new in him. And then the text takes a little bit of a turn. It even takes what I would call a violent turn when we get to verse five. He says, therefore, now what does the therefore mean? Because of what I just said. He said, because of what I just said, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Now stop right there. Put to death is strong language. Put to death, I, I looked up the Greek on it. You're going to like this. The Greek word for that, the, the, the translation out for it, is to make dead. <laughs> make it dead. Put to death, to slay. And not like the kids talk today, right? I murdered that math test. I slaughtered that sandwich. Like you hear that in language today, right? We use those really violent terms for something that really wasn't violent. Like I just destroyed that cafeteria plate. No, 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 right? It's just like they took the word awesome. Awesome is something way bigger than this peanut butter is awesome, right? But, but I want you to see the severity of the language here. Interestingly, I mean, interestingly enough, Another translation of that word is an impotent old man, which I thought was interesting. And that could go a whole nother route. We're not going to go that way today. But it, but to put to death, to subdue or to mortify, to make something dead, kill it, kill it, put to death. What? That which belongs to your earthly nature, your sin nature, kill what is earthly in you, not of God, but of the earth put it to death. And we're going to come back to the killing here in a minute. But what is it that we're supposed to be slaying? What is it that we're supposed to be killing? He didn't, you know, leave it open ended. Anything belonging to your earthly nature, he said, such as sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, look, as we go through these things, I don't expect anybody in here to go, what? We're not supposed to be sexually immoral. Are you sick? Why has nobody said this? Right. I don't think that that's going to be a surprise to you. If you've been a believer and you've been in church, these things on this list are not going to be a surprise. What I want you to pay attention to is the severity that he uses when he's speaking about it. The level of severity that he's using when he's talking about it. Sexual immorality, impurity, which talks about moral corruption, that you're just shady, that you do shady things. He's like, put that to death. When he says lust, that means passion or being led around by your appetites. 
unable to control the urges that you have in your body and then evil desires, those impulses that we have to walk in a way that's going to be against God. These are the things that he's talking about. And again, we're going to get back to the killing aspect here in a minute, but I want you to focus on the severity. He talks about greed. Yours may say covetousness, right? And that's the one that seems like, well, I mean, that doesn't seem like that bad, right? And when you compare it to some of these others, it seems like the weight's a little bit off. But when you're talking about being covetous, when you, when, when you covet something, you say, well, you have that. Why don't I have that? I should have that. You're getting to enjoy that. Why am I not getting to enjoy that? And that's the part we're like, well, that's not that bad. We've all felt that way, right? But as a believer, look at what you're doing. You're basically telling God, you're not dealing right with me. You haven't given me what I deserve. You haven't given me what I need to be happy, to be fulfilled. When we do that, when we covet, that's what we're saying. We're looking at him and going, you're not good. You're not just, and you haven't dealt rightly with me. And you're like, whoa. But if you play it up, that's where it goes. That's what covetousness is. It's an accusation against God. And that's why it says greed or covetousness, which is idolatry. Because if you're looking at God and going, you're not fair, you're not good, what are you going to do? You're going to turn that worship and that attention to something that you think is going to deal rightly with you. You're going to try to replace him, which is idolatry. And he's saying, kill these things. Don't play with these things in your life. It's using language of such severity. Why? Because these are the things that are going to harm you. These are the things that are going to kill you. There's an old quote that, that I came across years ago, and I went back to it as I was studying on this. It was an old, old Puritan. His name was John Owen. And the, the quote was, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Amen. Be putting it to death. Otherwise, it's going to be putting you to death. And we'll get back to the killing in a minute. But again, where are these things from? He's like, these belong to your earthly nature. Which means we shouldn't be surprised when they pop up because they were a part of us, right? It's coming out of us. It's in there. So we shouldn't be surprised and we shouldn't think that it's nothing. He says in verse 6, because of these things, what the things on this list, the things in your earthly nature, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient because of these things. Well, I thought God, you know, God is love. That's not, you know, wrath. Look, you cannot have one. You can't have love without wrath. And the real quick example of that, if you come to my house and you knock my mailbox down, you just take a bat, just knock my mailbox down, which, by the way, people have done. People have done that, right? And when that happened, I was like, man, my mailbox got knocked down. I need a new mailbox. That wasn't nice. And I went about getting a new mailbox. I didn't love my mailbox. It was just my mailbox. Now, if someone came to my house with a bat and tried to attack a member of my family, guess what? You're going to see a little bit of wrath. Amen. Right? 
You might see stuff bust out of me you ain't never seen before. I'm not very big, but I can, I can swell up. Right? Why? Why? Because I love them so much. Because I love them so much. And you're coming to hurt them. No, wrath comes on that. So you see, when God loves something so much, if there's harm that's coming to it and it's being done wrong, wrath rises up. Wrath is something that we store up against us and then it comes upon us. And, and you may think fire and brimstone, but what the Bible says in Romans 1 that the wrath of God primarily is, is he turns you over to the things that you, he's, you have replaced him with. He said, you chose to serve this instead of serving me, so I had to turn you over to that. Amen. And you don't want to be turned over to the insufficiency of something else. Yeah. But it says the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient because of these things that you once walked in. Verse 7, you once walked in these things. You were living in them. He's like, you're familiar with these things. These aren't new to you. These old reflexes, these old impulses. He says, you were under them. You were under the sway of them. Now it's time to put them under you. Now it's time to put them way under you. Matter of fact, with the language we're using, it's time to put them six feet under you. We'll get back to the killing in a minute. You once walked in these things. Aren't you thankful for words like this in Scripture? Verse 8, but now. But now it's time to be different. Why? Because he's made a way for you to be better. He's made a way for you to be different. But now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Let's talk through these real quick. Again, not new stuff. Not stuff we don't understand. Not stuff we haven't experienced. Anger isn't just, well, they cut me off and I was like, hey, and then I, I rock on. This word here is more of a, a simmering anger that just stays with you. That just doesn't, that you wake up with it. You walk through the day with it. You go to bed at night with it. Anybody ever been afflicted by that? I have. Right? What comes after that, that, that anger? It, it's talking about your wrath next, which is outbursts, where rage builds up to the point that it just explodes. Then it talks about malice, thinking vicious thoughts about other people, willing to hurt other people, to harm other people. Malice. We felt that in our life. Slander. We want to hurt them. Here's how I'll hurt them. I'll just cut them down. I'll just say terrible things about them, even if it's the truth. <laughs> right? Sometimes the truth is terrible and we can choose to not walk in love and grace but instead to slander and cut down other people. And this is filthy language. And, and we think just cussing. You shouldn't walk around cussing. But what this is talking about is even a greater severity. Cursing people. Putting something on somebody with your words. He's like, these are the things that you have to put away. And then verse 9, stop lying. Don't lie to one another. Lying, and I, I, this wasn't original to me, but I heard it and it just, it just wedged itself in my heart. I tell my children all the time, lying's the worst thing you can do. Don't lie to me. 
Lying is the worst thing you can do because it breaks the relationship. You're taking the relationship and sever. When you lie to me, you're just breaking it. Don't lie to one another. Why? Since you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. It's this image of our life in Christ. We go from these dirty, nasty, stinky clothes and he gives us clean clothes to put on. He's like, you used to walk looking like this. Take that off. Why? You've got new clothes to change into. You've got better clothes to put on. And look at this. This will match what we talked about last week. The latter part of verse 10. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. What does it say? We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind in Romans 12. Being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You're being renewed, made new in knowledge and how you think what you know according to the image of your creator. You're taking off the image you were born after and putting on the image of the one you were born again into. Put off the old self with its practices. Put on the new self. Your mind is being made new. And I love verse 11. And then we're going to get back to the killing. I know you're ready for that. In Christ, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. This is the same for everybody, no matter who you are. It is the same for everyone, no matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is. It's the same for everybody. It doesn't mean he's going to save us to where we all look the same, all sound the same, all talk the same. But he's saying this isn't limited to a certain group, a certain type. He said in Christ, there's not these divisions. He's like, but Christ is all and in all. It's the same for all of us, no matter who we are. And that helps us too. We're like, well, I don't really have a problem with that, with that thing in life. Tell them. Sometimes it's the Bible narration. We hit the play button. It's the same for everyone, no matter who we are, whether I struggle with this more or this more, it's the same for all of us. So run it back, back to verse one. We're putting our mind on Christ. Why? Because we've been, we've been raised with him. We focus on the things that are about him. Our thoughts change. Our focuses change because we've been raised with him. We're hidden with Christ in God. And so therefore, because of that, be putting to death or be killing those things, all those lists we went through in our earthly nature. Now, why do we start with verse one through four when we're talking about this? That we've been raised with Christ, that we're hidden with, uh, hidden in Christ with God. Why do we start there? Because it shows us that we're not, let me back it up. Before that happened, we were powerless to kill any of this stuff. We were under the sway of it. We were afflicted by it. We couldn't do anything but it. It was killing us. And we had no other choice but to do the wrong thing. There weren't two choices. We had one. And so it's telling us now you have a different position. And because you have a different position, you have abilities now that you didn't have before. 
because before that happened, we were ruled completely by the earthly nature. He said, you don't have to be ruled by that anymore. So what you should do instead, and this gets back to severity, start killing it. Start killing it using the power that you've been given. Because again, we have in Christ a new self, a better way. Therefore, put to death what's left of your earthly nature in your body and in your life. And the severity of the language here tells me it's not a game. It's not something you can maybe do and maybe not do. If you treat it like a game, then you're going to get hurt or others are going to get hurt because we can think that about sin. Well, I can control this. I can keep this. I can manage this. I can tame this almost like it's a pet. Or something. But again, remember the quote you're either killing sin or it's killing you. I wanna read you a longer quote by Mr. Owen, and then I'm gonna have to translate it for you. Not because it's in a different language, but because it's in older English language. But listen to this, and then we'll talk about it, because I really liked the way that he put this. He said, Let no man think to kill sin with a few easy or gentle strokes. He who hath once smitten a serpent, If he follow not his blow until he be slain, may repent that he ever began the quarrel. And so will he who undertakes to deal with sin and pursues it not constantly to death. Sin will after a while stay in. He's like, when you've got a snake in your yard that's threatening you, threatening your family, he said, don't, you wouldn't go and try to kill it with just like a lot. Stop it. You're not just going to hit it with one blow and just kind of like. He said, if you do that, you're going to regret it. He said, whoever goes after the serpent and smites it just once and barely is going to regret he ever did that because the snake's still going to be around and he's going to go, what are you doing? Right? He's coming back at you. And he says the same way with sin. He's like, don't think that you're just going to tap sin and go, no, no, stop it. And not use any more effort, any more thought, any more aggression than that against this thing that can kill you. He said, you're going to regret it because if you let up, it's going to get up. You keep hitting it until it's dead. And then you hit it a few more times to make sure it's dead. Anybody ever killed a snake? Right? You didn't just take one swipe at it, especially if it's at your house. At your house, in your yard, or in your carport, you're just not like, that's probably good. Right? Andrew had that just a couple weeks ago. Mowing, and the copperheads came out. Two of them. He's on the mower. He went back over them. And then he said, I backed up and did it again. And then I did it again. Why? To make sure that it's dead. If the point is to kill it, then get the killing done. Don't let up before it's done. And that's what he's saying when he's comparing these two things. He's like, when you set about to fight against these earthly and carnal parts of you, do not let up. Because if you let up, it said it will revive and then the death is coming to you instead of to it. 
If you let it hang around, it's going to hang around and it's going to develop into more of a problem. I thought about wasp nests. Anybody ever been stung by a wasp? Yellow jackets are worse. Wasps are bad. What I've noticed, because they, they, they like to build little nests in the corners of my carport. And what I've noticed is that it'll start just a really small nest about the size of your thumbnail with one wasp on it. And if I do something about it then, it's not super hard to get rid of. But if I don't, or I don't notice it, or maybe something was hanging up there and was covering it up, and they were able to work back there without anybody seeing them, there's a lesson there too. It gets bigger with more wasps on it, and when I go to deal with it, I'm in more danger, right? It's built up more power and sway because it was covered up. It was under the cover of something else and they were able to operate and build and build up a little fortress. And there I pulled them out of sheds about that big. Now I waited and did it in the wintertime when they weren't there. But you see what I'm saying? If we don't deal with it, it grows and the problem grows. And what, what, what Paul is saying and what John Owen referenced it's like when you get started on this, get it done. Keep at it. Don't let up on sin with those wasps. If they're getting in somewhere, I'm going to knock them down. I'm going to try to figure out where they got in so they don't get in again. And in my life, in our life, that means there's some things I've got to cut off. Like, wait a second. Stuff in this sin list is coming into my life. Where did it come in? How did it get here? What was I entertaining that brought it in? What was I doing that allowed this to get started building? And I go get the caulk and start sealing it up. Well, when, 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 I, when I go here, I end up getting angry. When I walk with this person, I end up doing things that I don't want to do. or I wish I hadn't done. Amen. I have to seal those things off. That, that's the killing of sin that we're talking about. And we take it serious because it can hurt us. It can harm us and those who are around us. And, and how, am I, how am I fighting this? I'm, I'm applying the gospel to it. I'm renewing my mind so that I think rightly. So when these things pop up, it's like instead of seeing it as, hey, this is a way to handle this situation. I see it as this is a threat. This will hurt me. This is bad for me. I have a better way. But if I don't know the better way, it looks like a good option. And I sealed the weak places up where these things have been getting in. And again, it's not, I'm not being fearful when I'm doing that. I'm being wise because I don't want to walk in that anymore. I don't want to play with those things anymore. Why? Because they hurt me. They hurt me before. They can hurt those that are close to me. We talked about tolerance last week. We don't want to tolerate sinfulness in our life at any level. Why? Because somebody's going to get hurt. It can start out small and we can think we can handle it. People buy, you've seen people on, on all, all kinds of places, they'll buy tigers and lions when they're little, you know. About the size of a Labrador puppy. Oh, that's so cute. This is cute. This isn't dangerous at all. This is, they're so sweet. I don't know why people are so scared of them. Right? And all the time, you see what, what happens. They just snap. Why? Because that's what they do. That's what they do. 
Well, I can't believe he didn't let me put my head in his mouth again. He always lets me do that. I don't know why he bit my friend. That's what they do. That's what they do. That's what they are. They don't have any choice but to be any other way. And that's what sin will do in your life. You can bring it in as something that's cute. I can control this. I can manage this. I can handle this. I can do this. And then it starts growing. And it gets to the point where you can't. And then it eats you. It devours you. He says it's because of these things, this abounding sinfulness, that the wrath of God is coming on the disobedient. That's a pretty powerful statement. That's why he wants you to kill it. That's why he said you need to kill these things. Put them away. Put them off. You see this language that's being used and put on a renewed mind. We don't play with it because they will hurt you. And again, and I'm almost done. When you set out to deal with it, don't let up. Don't think you've made it far enough that it's not going to be an issue for you anymore. When you set out to deal with sin in your life, don't let up or it will get up and it will deal with you. Amen. Amen. He's talking about severity. Again, we know these things. We know we shouldn't walk in these things. No, nothing in that list surprised any of us, did it? Nothing did. We know. We have that, that not, our own conscience tells us. But, but we're deceived to think, well, just that. I mean, in, in, in the severity of language that he's using here is pointing out to us, no, this will kill you. This will hurt you. This will harm you in any measure. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, even a little bit. Don't let it in. Don't let it in. And I, I want to close with, with this. You, you, you might be sitting here saying, Stephen, I've already gone too far. I've already let it build up big time in my life. Like it's a lot. The baby tiger is not a baby anymore. It's full grown and I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do. I didn't fight it. I didn't turn my back on it. I tolerated it. I thought I could tame it. I thought I could rule it, but now it's turned into something that I can't deal with and I can't control. I'm going to give you one last quote from preacher John Owen. He said, there is no death of sin without the death of Jesus. There is no death of sin without the death of Jesus. I don't want you to ever hear me talking about this and thinking you're, that you're going to have to punish yourself, that you're going to have to hurt yourself mm -hmm. that, that you're, you know, cause it, that, that was even a, a, a terrible teaching. You saw people doing that. If, if they did the wrong thing, they would literally beat themselves mm -hmm. with whips. Wow. I was like, no, 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 no. There, there's no death of sin except in the death of Christ. And he's not worried about the measure of it. He's not scared by the measure of your sin. I don't want you to hear that you're going to have to knuckle up and figure out how to tote all of it. Because that's what it can sound like. When we're saying, you get, get up, kill it, do it. You know, fight back, fight against it. But when yours is so big, it's like, I'm at the, I, I've lost. It's over. Look, the only reason that we have the, the knowledge and the hope of defeating sin is Jesus. Amen. It's not in, I, we talked about this last week. It's not in my ability I'm not the one that has to get it done. Yeah. All I have to do is show up and be willing. Yeah. 
It's in my willingness, which is passive. We can all be willing. And then we have to tolerate the transformation. Tolerate, because it's going to mean some drastic changes in our life. The bigger we've let it get, the bigger the change is going to be. And we have to tolerate that and know it's going to be different and it's going to be uncomfortable. But on the backside of it, he's leading us into something that's better. He even said it's life and life more abundantly. So when we find ourselves in that spot where we're just overwhelmed by the darkness and, and we're ravaged by the deception of sin, because it, that's, it, it deceives us. It, it lets us think, well, this is, this is the result of this, and it never is. It's always the same, because sin can only work, what? Death. The wages of sin is death. When we're ravaged by the deception of sin, the only hope that we have is to remember that Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come to condemn sinners. He came to reach out. So me saying I'm a big sinner just means that I'm eligible for the grace of Jesus. I'm the one that he came for. I'm, I'm one of the ones he came to save because I'm confined under sin. I'm trapped under it. I can't get out from under it. I got good news. That's the reason, the very reason that he came. And I want you to hear this and come away with it feeling shame. Because we talked about this on Wednesday night. Jesus doesn't work using shame. That's the other guy. That's the darkness that, that brings shame on you. He came to give you peace and hope. He came to take away that shame. When we talked about those clothes that we were wearing, nasty, filthy, old self. We were ashamed to be wearing that. He didn't come at us and just tell us how shameful we were. He gave us something better to put on. That's what he came to do. So again, when we find ourselves in that spot, remember he came to save sinners. It even says in the book of Colossians, when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, he made us alive and forgave our trespasses, erasing the debt, the condemnation, taking it away forever and nailing it to the cross. He took the writing of requirement that was against us, that we couldn't meet the life we couldn't live, the standard we couldn't rise to, and He took it away and He nailed it to the cross and He forgave us of our trespasses. He is compassionate and gracious and He is able. He's able. The same guy we read about in Jeremiah, He is able. Don't act like you're ruined and He doesn't want you. Because he does. Don't act like you've done too much and go, well, I understand you're saying that for some people, but you don't know my list. You don't know my history. You don't know my background. Nobody's run in Jesus' eyes. Nobody. Nobody's too low. Nobody's too far. Nobody's too distant. He went all the way to Samaria to see a woman at a well that everybody else would give up on. Nobody's too far. Nobody is ruined. Don't think he's give up on you because he hasn't. Again, he starts off saying, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden 
with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we'll also appear with Him in glory. This ministry that He's carrying out is to get rid of sin. And that's why it follows up with, be like Jesus who saved you and start getting rid of that sin in your life. Now that He's given you this position, now that you can point it out, now that you can see it and you see how it works and you see how deadly it is for you, don't keep it in your house. Get it out of the house. Kill it, put it off, and be renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator because He's going to continue to transform you into the image of Jesus who we're already hidden in. He's going to transfer us into that, transform us into that same image. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us as we get ready to go and then Andrew's going to come and we'll sing together as we get ready to leave. Father in heaven, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us for letting things hang around that you've already pointed out to us to move out of the way. Lord, I pray that we'll see it the way that you see it, as harmful, hurtful, and in the end, unnecessary because we've been given something better. Lord, I bind a spirit of shame in the name of Jesus. Lord, the feeling that we can't come to you because you came for us. And I thank you that we'll always see you as big enough to save us, not only positionally, but in our everyday condition, that you're big enough to change us and renew us in our mind and heart first and abounding out into every other area of our life. And God, give us strength and endurance to kill the darkness that would try to revive itself in our earthly from our earthly nature, that, that that has died and that we'll keep it dead. What you've put under us, we won't put back at the table with us. And Lord, I thank you that you continue by the power of the Holy Spirit and our pursuit in you, our willingness to change, that you're transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory, not our power, not our ability, but yours. Lord, I thank you that you're big enough for whatever we have. You're not shocked. You're not surprised. You're not disheartened. You're ready to help us walk out of it. To pick us up out of that miry clay and set our feet upon a solid rock. Thank you for your goodness in our life. I thank you that as we get ready to go, that we leave in peace and unity together with one another. Lord, protect us. Keep us safe. Lord, we got a lot of activities this week. A lot of things going on. We pray that you be the center of it. You be right in the middle of it. Lord, so that we can grow together. You've called us to follow you. You've not called us to follow you alone. I thank you for the body of Christ that you've given us to lock arms with, to be accountable to, and to get encouragement from as your hands and feet here on this earth. And I thank you, Lord, as we go through this week individually, our eyes are open and ready to encourage those that we would come into contact with to shine the light that shined first into our heart and made such a difference. I thank you for hope. In Jesus' name.